Hi, and welcome to episode 73 of No Crying in Baseball, the stupid, stupid daylight savings time episode. It's a very sleepy patty here with my friend Potty Mouth. And another, a very sleepy Potty Mouth as well. And in my stupor, I still want to give my heartfelt congratulations to A-Lo and J-Rod, who are now going to be Mr. and Mrs. I see what you did there. I like it. I think the hyphenation would work really well. Yeah. Don't you think he should I saw, be I saw a- J-Rod. I, I kind of like A-Lo because of my feelings for them, but J- J-Rod seems to be the thing. Yeah, or he could be A-Lo-Rod or A-Rod-Lo. There's got to be some- sounds too much like Rob Lowe. Yeah. I wouldn't want to conflate the two. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I hope they're happy. I wasn't sure that was worthy of an actual MLB alert to my phone, but I did enjoy the photo of the ring with a remark under it saying it looks kind of like a bat donut. I I saw a lot of comments about how A-Rod just wanted another big ring because he only had one. Uh, Yeah. This week on the show, we're going to send our best to hero Tom Seaver. We're going to give you an update on guys we hate to love and guys we love to hate. You know who they are already, don't you? We're going to give props to our girl, Jessica Mendoza. Cheers to you. We're going to give you our picks for pitchers. It's different than the boyfriends. We pick whole squads this time. We're going to um, give you a quick review of MLB Grit and girls who play baseball on their high school teams. Cheers to that. And we're going to end with a vocabulary lesson that's really appropriate for spring training, service time. But first... So Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver is a Hall of Fame pitcher. He was the face of the Miracle Mets of 1969, a 12-time All-Star, one of the very few members in the 300-win, 300-plus strikeout club. Tom Seaver is retiring from public life at the age of 74 because he has been diagnosed with dementia. He had to put out a public statement about it, really, because this is a very public year for him, and then it's the 50th anniversary of those Miracle Mets, and there's going to be a lot of ceremony celebrating this at City Field, and he would be, again, the face of that, so he had to put out something saying, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be available to you. I'm going to be working at my vineyard. I'm going to be private. I'm going to be you know, taking time for myself. We're going to wish you all the best, Tom, to you and your family. I know it's a hard time for you, and you will long be remembered for all the great things you've done. It's nice to see all that stuff coming out now about all that he did, because he's been a little bit shadowed because a lot of the records that he set were broken after. But what I find remarkable is that he set those records while pitching 231 complete games, which is not something that pitchers do today. So the the long, longevity, what's that word? I'm we're having word problems. <laughs> that's because it's that stupid, stupid daylight savings is. time, and the breakfast beer I think is working against us. <laughs> yeah, it's just way too, way too the early longevity. Today. Longevity. That's, that's it. it. That's the word. Exactly. And that he's able to achieve a lot, including a no-hitter. And and he was beloved by the Mets. And I think Mets fans were a little bit pissed off when he was traded to Cincinnati. To add to that, the year after he was traded is when he finally got that no-hitter after skirting it, maybe I think three one-hitters with the Mets. So a lot to think about. Just definitely go and we're going to post something about him because just the numbers are incredible to look back on. If you want to tear up just a little bit, when Shea Stadium finally closed its doors, Tom Seaver and Mike Piazza actually did a ceremonial closing of the doors at Shea. And there's video of, of Tom Seaver throwing out a ceremonial last pitch at Shea Stadium to Mike Piazza. It's really very sweet. I, you know, I would have been, I was cheering for it when I saw it before, and I'm kind of tearing up about it now because it feels like the end of an era. 
And I didn't know that he had some time on the Red Sox right before he retired and went back to the Mets for the very end of retirement. So many people do. Yeah, but just a a little flash. But of course, that makes him all the more endearing to me. Speaking of guys who are endearing to me, or not so much. (laughs) There are these guys that either love to hate or hate to love. I'm not sure which was which, but Joe Kelly, who on the Red Sox was famous last year for Joe Kelly's Fight Club. I'm a pacifist. I do not condone fighting on the field, but there was just something about that image of him beckoning on the Come Yankees get me, catcher. Bro. Yeah, and now he's with the Dodgers, and I'm kind of glad that he got traded to the Dodgers because he just injured his back this past week. How did he do that? Cooking Cajun food. I'm not sure why the Cajun part is important. Is Cajun lengthy food? It's to a cook? Cra- it was a crawfish boil, so he had to stand over the pot basically for hours and hours to make it all go. Moral of the story: Do that on the off season. Don't do that <laughs> during the season. Another guy with a little bit of mixed feelings here is Manny Machado, who I was avoiding talking about for a very long time because of his personality traits. Let's say on the field. And he's showing that with the Padres, who just spent a shitload of money anchoring on him, and he's already writing them off, basically, for the division. In a recent interview, he said, yeah, maybe not the division, but we're going to go out there and fight for a wild card. So yeah, we're not really that good yet, but we're going to try really hard to get the wild card anyway. So here's the thing, people. There's truth to that. But still, your public face shouldn't be promoting that truth. It should be, we are going to do our best. We're ready. We're going to fight. Especially in fucking spring training. I mean, he's just getting started with them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, part of that might be C service time below. Oh. We might not have all our best players on the field. Ooh, hold that thought. Before we get there, let's uh, lift our glasses and our breakfast beers to Jessica Mendoza. Yay, Jessica. Cheers. Cheers. who the Mets just hired as baseball operations advisor. This is freaking awesome. She is going to, this is not a a job in title only. She's going to have influence over the roster, over um, like health and fitness of players, over a whole range of things. Interestingly, she's going to keep doing Sunday Night Baseball for ESPN. And I really love her on them. I think she's a wonderful commentator. I think she's really knowledgeable Really personable. I like to watch her. And she puts A-Rod in his place. I love their banter. She's great. Yeah, absolutely. So they they work really well together. And interesting, you brought up A-Rod again. Yeah, we're talking about oh, A-Rod a lot this show. I don't like that very much. So one thing that this brought up, the Mets got in front of this potential conflict of interest because she is going to be working for and being employed by a team and also covering that team. And they said in their press release, it's not a conflict of interest. A-Rod does that with the Yankees, and David Ross does that with the Cubs, and Ortiz does it with the Red Sox. And So if you can give an example of somebody else doing something that you've been accused of, then it's not a problem. Let me tell you how my Is mom how would have works? handled that. Yeah. My mom would have looked at me square in the eye and said, if A-Rod jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? That's in the classroom all the time when I'm like, put your phone away to a student. Well, he has his phone out. Well, he's not supposed to <laughs> He either, needs to put right? his away too, damn it. Yeah. Let's talk about some pictures. Pictures. This was a painful week for me. And I'm going to spend an, as much time, if not more, talking about the pictures I did not choose as opposed to the pictures I did choose. But it's a little bit of a, of a summary of our baseball boyfriend regulations. Our philosophy, you our might philosophy. say. All, all off-season long, every week, we've been picking a different guy from, a, from each team of the 30 MLB teams to be our boyfriends, which is the guy that we want to hang out and have a beer with. They're good, but they have something special that makes us want to talk to them. 
And we're down to the end. We're down to the pitching. So we're picking a squad. And I was trying really hard to make the squad adhere to our baseball boyfriend rules, which means they can't be, yeah, they can't be assholes. There's a lot of guys. I mean, the squad, I mean, they have about 26 players. So we have to really kind of, there's a bunch. There's a bunch. Yeah. And you were giving me a break. You're like, well, you can pick the good ones and just not pick that bad apple. But there were, there were some examples where I just felt like the bad apple was rotting the organization and I really just couldn't go there. And the first was my Red Sox. I was really excited at the idea of picking the Red Sox this year. My whole life, they Surprising. have not. Surprising, no one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but my whole life, they have not been known for their pitching. I mean, there have been stars there, of course, Pedro Martinez and Roger Clemens. Chris Sale. Yeah, but as a as a solid, dependable squad, Red Sox have not been picked for their pitching, whereas this year, it's looking really good. But I already complained on this show about their bargain basement acquisition of Henry Mejia, who had been banned for life because of three offenses with PED use. Now, the whole thing of whether I condone or don't condone thinking badly about something about PED use is sort of another thing. I'm not quite sure where I've settled on that. But the optics of underpaying somebody because of his bad reputation, I'm putting that on the Red Sox. Also, the band for life and then, well, until you're not. Yeah. Yeah. So there's him. And then there was the the final nail in the coffin, which I think I've used that metaphor way too many times here. But Stephen Wright- The coffin is full, man. It's a totally fucking full coffin with the Red Sox. (laughs) Stephen Wright was just suspended 80 games- with no pay. So this is costing him over $500,000 and no postseason hope uh, because he was tested positive for, for a growth hormone releasing peptide 2. So it's not a steroid, but it's a banned substance. It's a growth hormone. Yeah, that's an appropriate thing to do right now. <laughs> And 80 games. And, you know, interestingly, it was about this time last year when Stephen Wright was penalized 15 games on domestic violence accusations. Oh, oh, we don't we don't give any slides yeah. of that. And, Not and at all. the problem is for both of those, I can rationalize it. I can say that, you know, the PED thing, he says he doesn't know how it got in his system. That's believable, right? No. Okay. <laughs> and then the, the domestic violence thing, there was actually no physical contact and no evidence of physical contact. When the police came, neither he nor his wife said that there was that there had been physical contact. Obviously he did something he shouldn't have because she called the police, but who knows? So well, he did get a very small you know, 15 games. Everybody's saying, you know, 80 games for a PED. Why do you only get 15 for abuse? Well, it's really unclear as to what actually happened. But the bottom line here is you're not picking the Red Sox. The bottom line, <laughs> after like my five-minute diatribe, the bottom line is I am very disappointed with my Red Sox, and I'm sadly not picking them. Then I thought, all right, because of the closer situation, which was actually my backdoor reason for not picking the Red Sox, is if Mejia got put as the closer and I couldn't have him on my team, then I'd be screwed because that happened to me last year with the Astros when they got Asuna and I couldn't deal with having him on my team. So I thought the Mets, they have this great closer who tied for the second most saves in MLB history last year, Edwin Diaz. And then I looked a little deeper and I remembered, oh yeah, Juris Familia, who had been seriously 
accused of domestic violence. And there was lots of evidence, including marks on his girlfriend, I believe, when the police came, but she denied in everything. She was what they call a hostile witness. She said, no, it wasn't him. My kid scratched me. And this mark on my face was from when I was leaning on my hand and all these reasons that I, I fell down the stairs a door hit me that I heard this thing yeah, yeah there were knives out it's Yikes. just too much optics and again I'm not a judge and a jury I don't have all the information maybe Mr. Familia was innocent but there was enough evidence there for there to be a reasonable doubt for not being on my fantasy baseball boyfriend team so I am wait, going wait wait so you're not picking the red the 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 Mets either yeah huh. I'm not picking the Mets you're spending either. a lot of time not picking teams not <laughs> And that's why I felt like I had to talk about it because I spent a lot of my show prep time going, oh, oh shit, because I was interested in Thor. And, yeah. So I'm going with the Cardinals, who I think, and they better fucking pull through for me, I think they're squeaky clean and have a lot going for them. They have a super solid rotation of a nice mix of youth and middle and the older advisor role. They have Carlos Martinez, who I'm going to talk about a little bit more, who was a rookie in 2013, that year that the Cardinals lost the World Series to the Red Sox. So these 13 Cardinals have a little sweet spot in my heart uh, for, for making my heart pound a little fast at times, but also for, you know, being there when my Red Sox won that World Series. Uh, Miles Mikolas, who I'm also going to talk about a little more. Jack Flaherty, young guy, 23 years old, who's been with the Cards for two years, who's looking great in spring training. And then the wisdom with Adam Rainwright, 37 years old. He's been with the Cards since 05. There's a really good spirit of people who stay with the Cardinals. We saw that with Yadier Molina last year. I think it's a Midwest thing. That, that makes a lot of sense. I'm willing to go with sense. that as a Midwest girl myself. Totally makes sense. And Michael Waka, whose name just gave me goosebumps during the 13 World Series because he was so fucking good as a rookie. He actually got the NCLS MVP that year. Their closer situation is a little unclear. And actually, the whole thing is a little unclear. Martinez might be the closer, or he might be in the bullpen. There's Andrew Miller, who has a place in both of our hearts as a former Cleveland player and a former Boston player. He's had highs and lows over the year. He could be the closer. There's a couple of youngins, Jordan Hicks, who's 22 years old, and Alex Reyes, 24, who might be a starter, might be a closer. So this is a gamble, is what I'm saying. But I'm taking this gamble because of interesting stuff. I found out. Carlos Martinez is the one who won me over. He's 27 years old and his nickname is Tsunami. I'm concerned because he has shoulder issues going on right now. He was slated for opening day. He might not make it. But he started the Tsunami Waves Foundation, a foundation to benefit kids both in St. Louis and in the Dominican Republic. And we're going to post this just heart-wrenching article about this girl with leukemia in the DR who he basically saved. And he not only organized the forces to get her into the United States to get her the treatment, but he and his wife personally went to meet her. His whole family was involved, his wife's family. Absolutely beautiful story. And he came from hard times. His mother died when he was eight months old and his dad disappeared. And he spent years looking for his dad who just didn't want anything to do with him. He was raised by his grandmother, who, of course, he incredibly thanked when he got his big bucks first signing. He actually originally signed with the Red Sox in 09. 
And there was an issue where they were talking about fake papers and he actually they had to actually rescind the contract. And the reason why is that the grandmother had put down not his birth last name. So I think there was some confusion, especially with the father situation. And it took them a few months to figure that out. And it was nothing wrong on his part. Absolutely not trying to pull anything over. And lucky for the cards, they got him the next year when everything got straightened out in 2010. He's there through 2021 and maybe a couple more years on option. The last guy I'm going to talk about for the cards in in a little bit of detail is Mike Michaelis, who's now going to be their anchor. He's 30 years old. He just signed for four years with $68 million. And he had a rocky time and went to Japan for three years, did really well came back, took a two-year contract with the Cardinals because that would allow him to become a free agent the soonest. And he knew that he had increased his skills in Japan and he was going to be valuable. Well, he was. Last year with the Cardinals, he pitched over 200 innings, 18 wins, tied the, league in the, t- tied the lead in the National League, 32 starts, 20 of them pitching more than six innings with less than three runs, and he is Mr. Reliable, Durable, family in St. Louis. He has a toddler and seven-month twins, bless him, who want to put some roots down and stay there for a while. And even Adam Wainwright, sort of the, the sage on the team, has said, I'm passing the torch to this guy. This is the future of the Cardinals pitching. That's my team. That is so incredibly wholesome. Yeah. That is so well, unlike you. <laughs> I like that you're kind of going going off in a different direction for a while. Let's see how, I hope it works out well for you. Thank you. But not super well because I want to win. And um, Potty Mouth said that we could, if we wanted to, we could keep our squads, our pitching squads from last year. Um, so I'm going to keep the Nationals, but I'm going to teach you about some new guys because the Nats actually did a lot to beef up pitching this season. When they went shopping for pitchers, character, clubhouse leadership, all of these things were on the same line as pitching ability and raw talent and natural ability and all of that stuff. They want to take the drama out of the clubhouse. They want to increase the guys who are going to, you know, to bring people together and show leadership. There's been a little drama in the Nats pitching in the past. There has. You might Plenty remember. Of drama. You might remember somebody named Sean Kelly tossing his mitt down and staring down his manager, and and um, Kinsler getting released because he was leaking stuff that should have been private clubhouse things, and you know talking talking crap. And you don't do that, right? That doesn't do anything to build community. So they want these guys who are going to build the team. The first guy they picked, they signed Patrick Corbin, age 29, to a six-year, $140 million free agency contract. He just finished up with the Diamondbacks where he was their ace. And he's going to be the third starter. He's going to be behind Scherzer and Strasburg, and he's totally cool with that. One happy Nationals note about that, he was the very first free agency signing this off season. So the Nats weren't the ones waiting around to, you know, spring training already starts to sign people. They knew what they needed. They went after him and they got him right away. That's a big ethics credit there to the Nationals. That's the way it's supposed to be done. Yeah. So Corbin was an all-star in 2013 and 2018. And he was a kind of a late bloomer. He didn't play baseball until he was a junior in high school. He's not one of these kids being groomed from being a small child and doing travel teams and doing all that. He wanted to play basketball. His dad wanted him to play baseball. And he said, no, I want to play basketball and I want to hang with my friends. His basketball teammates convinced him to try out, which he did in a pair of jeans and sneakers. And he threw 80 miles an hour after never having pitched before. Like, yeah, we like this guy. 
Patrick Corbin, although he's high on character and humbleness and good guyness, is not necessarily so high on the smarts factor as as far as grades are concerned. So he went from high school to junior college. He couldn't qualify for a four-year scholarship. He went to junior college. He went to two different junior colleges where he was noticed and where he was drafted in the second round in 2009. He is still friends with his high school coach. He is still tight with his college coach from this junior college. This The second junior college he went to was in Florida, and his coach's house was completely destroyed this past fall by um, Hurricane Michael. And Corbin was the first person to donate, and apparently the highest donor, to help his coach rebuild his house. This is not an unusual thing. This surprised no one. He still stays in touch with the guy who scouted him originally to the Angels. This is the same scout that he called when the Angels traded him to the D-backs and said, what did I do wrong? And his scout said, no, you got traded because you're really good. But he's so humble. He didn't, he thought he was being punished for something. But the same scout calls him his third son and says he's a genuine, outstanding human being. And then the high school, um, I'm sorry, the the college coach says he's a humble kid and has his priorities in the right spot. He's what they're supposed to be like. So yay for the Nationals for finding a guy who's got, who checks off all the boxes. The next guy the Nats picked up is a veteran, 35-year-old Anibal Sanchez. 35. Yeah, we signed a 35-year-old. How about that? Two years, $19 million contract with an option at the end of those two years to stay on for another year. Sanchez has had an up and down career, way high up, way down in the depths. Last year, he had a career season with the Braves. And as the Nationals played the Braves all the time. They had a lot of a lot of eyes on him, so they knew what he could do. But his ups and downs were so great, he wasn't sure he was going to get signed for this year. And he said, you know what? I'm not going through this again. If I don't get signed by my 35th birthday, I'm going to retire. He got signed two months before his 35th birthday, and now we have him. He's Venezuelan, and I just have to mention that one of his heroes growing up was Omar Vizquel. I love Omar. And so, therefore, by extension, I love Anibal Sanchez. I watched him play yesterday um, at a a spring training game, and because he's older and maybe has lost a little velocity, he pitches smarter. He spends hours prepping for a start to figure out what each batter he's going to face is is likely going to show him and so what he should show them instead. So what he does is he pitches to weak contact, which means ground ball after ground ball. A lot of them slow rollers into the infield, and what does that create? Sexy defense. It gives the infielder something to do and some fun to have. And so that first inning last night was really a hoot to watch because everybody got to play baseball. It's also super efficient for him because he can pitch fewer pitches if he gets ground outs quicker. Which is also what you want in the older guy. You want to mm-hmm. conserve those, those pitch numbers, right? Um, one thing that the uh, the commentators were talking about, back to this, we want the guys who are going to be leaders in the clubhouse, is because he's had so many ups and downs He's completely relatable. So the guys in the clubhouse, whether they've had a lot of success or are going through rough patches, can find leadership in him because he's been there in all of those places before. When he was coming up, he spent some time in the Red Sox organization. And Big Poppy and Pedro Martinez would work with the young Latino players and teach them about what they need to do to get by. And one of the things they said was, you got to work harder than anyone else. This sounds like people coaching women in the workplace, right? So Latinos in Major League Baseball, you have to work harder than anyone else. Now he's giving back. Now he's taking the young Latino players and the Nationals 
like your your Robles and your Soto under his wing to kind of help them along. He's also bilingual, which helps, you know, bridge the different parts of the of the team. The other thing he does to bring the team together is he's known for throwing dinner parties at his home. I like dinner parties. I like dinner parties, too. I think we should talk to to, um, Mr. Sanchez about having us come over, too. We will bring the beer. Oh, we sure will. And what he wants to do is bring people to a place that's not the clubhouse or not the ball field and talk about things that aren't baseball because so they can get to know each other and relate to one another and build community. And I'm all about that. So yay, Annabelle Sanchez. I'm really happy about that pickup. In brief, we also picked up Trevor Rosenthal, 28 years old on a one-year $7 million contract. This is his first season back after taking last year off for Tommy John surgery. And apparently his recovery went very well because his very first spring training game after a year off, he threw 100 miles an hour. They're hoping he'll be the setup guy for Doolittle. Fun fact, he was also drafted out of junior college. The last guy I want to mention is Kyle Bearclaw because his name is Bearclaw, yeah, for God's awesome. sake. Also 28. He We traded um, to, from Miami for him. And what we gave Miami was international money, which helped get you, your boyfriend's Victor, Victor Mesa, right? All those victors. All the victors. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think all the victors were That's involved in that. Yeah. So many, many victors for one Kyle Bearclaw. Um, my favorite thing about Kyle Bearclaw is if he gets slotted into – as a seventh inning guy, then we can have the law firm of relief pitchers of Bear, Rosenthal, and Doolittle. And I just want to say Bear, Rosenthal, and Doolittle a lot. So go Nats. That totally sounds like a K Street firm. I think that that works. That works for this city, especially. I just realized that I am going to spend a large proportion of this baseball season rooting for your pitcher boyfriends. Yeah, you are. That seems really unfair. <laughs> Something we can agree on for sure, though, is the future of girls in baseball. And I can't tell you how happy I am to see MLB putting some serious effort into training, encouraging girls playing baseball. Right now, as we're speaking, there are girls playing baseball. There's an invitational tournament with 60 high school girls, and they started it on International Women's Day, which I think is a really nice gesture for the whole thing. And these are girls from all over. There are girls from D.C. who have been been seen reported on, on the D.C. Girls Baseball page. It's so exciting to see. Also from as far away as Canada and Puerto Rico, five of these girls were on that Baseball World Cup team that last uh, summer in Florida, and they're playing at the Rangers ballpark. And the one thing I see over and over in the tweets from these girls is I can't believe I'm playing in an MLB ballpark and I want to tap my hat. Wait, no, reverse. Cheers. I want to <laughs> take a sip. Breakfast I, I want to tip my hat to you, Patty, because you're the one who said you got to use the parks that you gave the example from the women's hockey where they actually played at the men's hockey stadium. Is this hockey stadium? They would be rinks and arenas, but that's okay. It's the right idea. I really know how to play hockey. But they're they're (laughs) actually in the ballpark is a big gesture. It gives legitimacy and it gives visibility for sure. They're not playing someplace where nobody goes. They're playing where you go to see good baseball. And they're showing you different good baseball. I'm hopeful. Although I I mentioned this to my high school age daughter who said, and yeah, are they going to be making the same money that the guys out of high school are making for playing baseball? And I thought, "Ah, shit, not yet. But I think this is a sign that we're going in that direction. It's not going to happen now, but I'm hoping that these girls will have more opportunity to continue with baseball. One thing that can happen is they'll get seen and maybe college scholarships for baseball and not softball will come their way and we'll still build on creating a structure where girls can play professionally. 
I'm going to give you a vocabulary lesson. We haven't had one of those in a while, and it's really timely right now. We're going to talk service time. This is important while you're watching spring training games because you're seeing amazing players like Vlad Jr., like Tadis Jr., like Peter Alonso. These guys were fantastic. And on opening day, they're going to be nowhere to be seen. And why is that? Because of service time. The collective bargaining agreement for baseball says you have to play at least 172 days out of the 187 days that make up the major league season. You have to either be playing for the major league team or on the injured list for that major league team for 172 days. You know when you're going to see these guys? End of April. And here's why. If you don't get that full year of service time in, the team has just saved millions of dollars on you because it takes six years of service time for you to get to where you can be a free agent and command your own salary. If they cheat you out of a couple weeks of work, so you're not in the starting lineup on opening day and not for almost a month afterwards, you're going to put off making your small baseball fortune for another entire year. This is ha- this happened to Ronald Acuna Jr. It happened to Chris Bryant. It happened to Bryce Harper and a couple of other folks. All of those guys were rookies of the rookie of the year, their rookie year, which started late. The excuse that's almost always given is, oh, they're not ready to play in the majors yet. Tell me how one month more in the minors made these guys any more ready if they ended up being rookie of the year. So I really think that Major League Baseball needs to get it together and play these guys. They're ready to play and pay them what they're worth. Right before we started recording, I did a quick check of news and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just got uh, sidelined for an oblique strain. I think it was oblique, some muscle strain, which is going to sideline him for three weeks. And everybody's going, huh, how mm-hmm. convenient. I mean, maybe he really is hurt, but mm-hmm. the optics on that, like you just said, the end of April, if he has this muscle st- sprain until right about then, that seems a little convenient. It does. And if he was already on the 25-man roster when that happened, he'd be on the injured list for that roster, and it would count towards service time. But nope, it just happens to happen in spring training. Will everybody come play with us? We are going to kick off our Fantasy Baseball Boyfriend League very soon, and you can play with us, but you gotta play by our rules. That means you can't draft assholes. I think we'll come up with some sort of asshole list that we can share of banned guys, but you know, we have a bunch of pre-screened guys that we have not chosen this year because we chose them last year. So if you go back to our our back episodes, you'll have a lot of really great recommendations for members of your fantasy baseball boyfriend team. Please send us a message at hosts at nocryinginbball.com. Is that right? That's correct. Or any social media. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are in all of those places. NCIB podcast on Twitter, no crying in B-Ball on Facebook and Instagram. And we would love to play with you. And because we are responsive to the feedback we got last year and because I caved to potty mouth, this year your hosts are going to have only one team each. Last year we had two teams because we had profiled 30 guys each and we wanted to be able to use both of them because we spent a lot of time picking them out. But potty mouth said we should really narrow that down. And other people said, you got all the good guys, which doesn't count for this year because we've released all the good guys from last year to all y'all. 
So anyway, so it's going to be smaller numbers. Yeah, and that wasn't completely magnam- magnanimous on my part. Part of it was just laziness because it was really hard to keep up with two teams full of guys, especially once people started getting injured. And I had to make sure that I didn't have somebody else from that team on either of my teams. So give my brain a little bit of a rest and you guys take advantage of it and get some good teams on our league. Are you saying being a manager is a hard job? It is a hard I job. I thought you I just wore a <laughs> uniform and, and, and yelled at umpires. No, I, I, I'm not cut out for managing. You're a good commissioner, though, I've got to say. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we're going to spend this week coming up with our starting lineups. And next week's show, we'll tell you who is on our own Fantasy Boyfriend Baseball League teams. We're getting so close to opening day. We are going to be going to an opening day game in 17 days, 23 hours, 49 minutes, and a matter of seconds from when we're recording this, much less time from when you are listening. Hone your baseball skills in the meantime by listening to our show, telling your friends about it, spending a minute writing a review and giving us a rating because that really helps people find our show. And until then, say goodnight, Potty Mouth. Good night, Potty Mouth. Good night, Potty Mouth. 